0: And welcome back to another episode of the Real Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Real conversations can best be summed up by the thesis of do hard things and live a meaningful life.
1: Today I'm joined by none other than my good friend, Peter Nelson jacob thank you so much man this is uh kind of surreal having a podcast out of a uh, out of a sauna Um, (laughs) and this thing is cranking right now at 230 degrees but we're so acclimated to the heat you can't even tell
0: we're sweating buckets in here yeah yeah if you guys aren't watching the video you need to be this is the first time maybe even in the history of the world anyone's recorded a podcast episode
1: in a sauna in a sauna. Yeah, this is, um, I, I'm sure that there's been a couple. I know my good buddy, uh, Todd Anderson or actually mutual friend, Todd Anderson is considering doing a podcast out of a Sisu. Um, but we could kind of teach him the ropes here as we uh, go along this podcast.
0: We definitely should. So yeah, let's, uh, for those of you that didn't listen to the first episode with Peter, Peter is the founder of Sisu sauna. Uh, now you got me stuck yeah. in <laughs> Sisu sauna. Uh, and Peter, I guess, To start things off, how would you kind of
1: describe yourself in a a brief 60-second summation? The most important things to me right now are my family, so my kids and my wife, and I really pride myself on being a family man. Secondly of that is I'm really in tune with my health and fitness. I really, truly believe that if I don't have my health uh, aligned, then I can't pursue the things I want to pursue. And then lastly, uh, I love, love, love business and pursuing areas of passion within business that allow people to actually benefit from the business ideas that we come up with. And with Sisu, it's a true impact on people through their health and bringing people together and embodying what Sisu means in the Finnish culture and bringing that here to the United States uh, through sauna. And I mean,
0: I think it's hard to look back at someone's journey, maybe even in high school and say, you know, I'm gonna start a sauna company when I'm older. How did you end up creating, I mean, this is, talk about a little bit too, this is the barrel sauna. This is your main product. A lot of our mutual friends, Todd Anderson, Eric Hinneman, and a long list of others have these and they're doing this at home.
1: How did you even come into this? When I was in high school, I did not think at all that I was going to own a (laughs) sauna company at any point in my life. Uh, in fact, I actually thought I was going to have a 20 year career in the army as an officer and then retire early. And, um, I thought I was going to have a very illustrious college basketball career. Um, and then potentially going to engineering after I I got out of the military and I could not be (laughs) any farther from that. Uh, so it's just one of those things where like we could have these silly plans but god has bigger plans for us um but that said you know in college i got into crossfit after i ended up segueing out of college basketball and my uh, master sergeant at the time introduced me to crossfit and that's where we did our pt in the morning and uh, that's kind of how i got introduced to the well the wellness and the strength and conditioning space and then along the way ended up becoming a personal trainer, uh, at a local gym here in Cleveland and ended up stepping into a manager role and then owning the gym, and then actually selling, uh, the gym. So that's new since <laughs> the last time we had chatted, uh, selling equity and in, in, in that space and now just becoming a member. Uh, but along the way I had found that, uh, sauna was a recovery tool and a way to really galvanize community. And we found that, uh, three, four years ago and, uh, 3 or 4 years ago when we when we got introduced to that it was so new in the United States really the only thing that was being pushed at the time was infrared sauna and Uh, at the time, nobody had really sold anything from a traditional sauna standpoint in Ohio at all. In fact, like the most premier sauna builder at the time was actually looking for a dealer in Ohio. And we kind of just checked the boxes off and being like, yeah, we'll inherit that and make this a side hustle. And that's kind of how we got introduced to the sauna business, um, was just kind of through luck and, but also persistence of saying like, yeah, we'll 100% be the dealer here in Ohio. So we would just basically field any sort of request from this, uh, from this manufacturer here in Ohio, when a customer would want to buy a sauna, and so we would get a couple sales here and there, but nothing, nothing uh, that would you know really um, be a needle mover in, in in our lives from like a financial aspect. It was just more fun and more of a passion project. And then little did we know that we were going to go into manufacturing a few years later, and then you know build this Cisu brand.
0: Were those sales like you were like selling these almost as a dealer of saunas, like a third party? Were you doing that through the gym or was that separate?
1: It was separate, so that's a good question. So for us, uh, we were looking to become a wholesaler, so a dealer slash wholesaler. So basically it was a drop ship type of model where if somebody really wanted to buy a sauna uh, in Ohio, they would have to go through us and we would process it through our site and then the manufacturer would then go ahead and ship it directly. to the uh, to the the consumer's house. In some cases, we would ship it directly to like a warehouse, and then we would go ahead and uh, get it and and install it at their place. But that's kind of like how we got introduced to it initially. It was it was a very like informal uh, wholesaler type of uh, relationship. I mean, this is crazy. How old are you right now? I'm twenty eight. Twenty
0: eight. I you're you're so young to have done so much already. Looking back at when you were younger was there anything that kind of hinted at wanting to live more of a involved and actionable life rather than get the typical nine to five job and then you're gonna level up and rise through three to five rankings over the next 50 years and retire with a nice little pension?
1: Yeah, Uh, growing up, my parents were both nine to five workers. Uh, Granted, my dad was always active outside of his nine to five job and so was my mom. But I will say that, being around a military family uh i found that it was kind of you work for the man you get paid by the man but you do a damn good job Mm -hmm. and so i didn't really get the entrepreneurial itch until after i was around people that were entrepreneurs and that's just a product of the environment type of situation we've all we've all been uh you know witness to it and felt it and i think that once you're around somebody who's really doing it and is pursuing their passion but even more so, making a genuine impact. You're like, man, I want to do that, and I found that first through the gym. I didn't have any entrepreneurial and uh, any entrepreneurial spirit really in me until mm-hmm. I met uh, my business partner at Black Flag, who had owned multiple businesses prior, and then scaling that business from thirty members to four hundred plus members. <laughs> And here on the Cleveland West side, it's kind of known for entrepreneurs and executives. So being around those people, you start spinning your wheels in your brain and you start to think, man, is this what I was meant to do was to own this gym or was I meant to do something bigger than this? And so I think that was really cultivated entrepreneurial spirit and that, um, that disruptor type of mindset spawned from being around people that are disruptors, And I was very conscientious early on to surround myself with people who are genuinely better than me at business, better than me at, you know, parenting the whole thing, because that was going to push me Mm -hmm. uh, to get out of my own mold and start to think bigger and do bigger.
0: So you talk about disruptors, you had been selling saunas kind of part-time. What is different about uh, Sisu Sauna and what you're doing?
1: Yeah. So Sisu, when we looked at the market specifically the sauna industry for traditional sauna we saw that there was a lot of issues that needed to be solved and it was one of the reasons why we ended up dissolving our dealership and going to manufacturing ourselves we saw that there were too many customizations way too many add-on features and a lot of in education around sauna so if somebody were to go to a website oftentimes you would have to inquire and get on a call to even know what the pricing was so there was Mm -hmm. no price on the website or if there was pricing It would start off as this very basic number uh, sauna or price point sauna, but then for you to actually have a great sauna experience, you'd have to go through eight to 10 plus customizations and you still wouldn't even know if that was like the exact experience that you wanted. So there wasn't much transparency in the space. Secondly, there was issues with lead times. The sauna industry standard still is about eight to 12 weeks from point of purchase to actually receive the sauna. And we were like, man, if we do this the right way, we could do this in four weeks. The other thing too was that The saunas just don't simply get hot enough in the traditional setting for there to be true benefit. And what I mean by that is that research is showing that you have to be at least at 176 degrees plus Fahrenheit for you to start to get these robust benefits from sauna, infrared saunas. You can only get capped out or you get capped out at about 160. So from a, from an actual like robust, uh, physiological effect you're trying to get from sauna, you don't even consider infrared because again, it, it doesn't get hot enough. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of marketing. But then when you consider the research that's come that comes out, it's in fact showing that's 80 degrees Celsius to 100 degrees Celsius for these effects, which means that it has to get up to about 216 degrees and people that become very heat adapted. Well, where we saw the issue was that why are people selling heaters or why are companies selling heaters that cap out at 185 degrees when like the the kill switch turns on and like there's a there's a safety switch that automatically triggers? Like that that's a problem. Because if we're trying to become more heat adapted and become more resilient individuals, we have to continue to uh, push the uh, the threshold for adaptation. So for us, what heater is going to perform that well and get hot enough? And that's where we partner with whom to create an, uh, this experience within our Sisu saunas that I could remotely turn the sauna up to 230 degrees if I wanted to. And that is a huge factor into like our success with Sisu, because we don't want to create multiple options for people. We want to just be like, this is the simplicity that we've created, where this is all you need to have a super successful experience, add to cart, and that is your price. You don't need to add a bunch of different things. The only customization we let people choose is whether or not they need a roof kit on their sauna or not, based off of if they're putting it indoors or outdoors. And so that simplicity for the consumer and that transparency is huge, and it's one of the reasons why we've, we've become trusted in the sauna space.
0: That's super cool. Yeah, like I mentioned before, a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast, I start seeing them with Csu saunas in their backyard, and I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. And eventually, it's like, who is this Peter Nelson guy, and what is he doing?
1: Well, I, it's still I still feel that way seeing sisu's popping up throughout, uh, you know, in the wild. And we've got uh, who we're onboarding uh, my good buddy uh, Bobby into a CMO role uh, with C, uh, with sisu. He's in he's traveling all over the place all the time in the US. And on average, he's in two to three different CSUs at any given week. That is awesome. And to me, that's just so crazy because having this perspective of knowing that we didn't sell um in that dealership period when COVID hit, like twelve to eighteen straight months without a single sauna sale. Jeez. And then seeing to where he's now getting to experience the Cisu lifestyle all throughout the United States. Doesn't matter what city, like there's he's Finding them, it's it's so surreal. Another thing that I I should hint or uh, talk about too, when it comes to the uh, difference, is the quality of craftsmanship. We actually uh, one of the reasons why we went to manufacturing here in Ohio on the east side of Cleveland is that we have an, an incredible Amish community that's super passionate about woodworking projects, and so we partnered with this amazing Amish manufacturing site uh, to really create this uh, barrel sound experience to where it's handcrafted, everything's hand selected. Uh, and as everybody knows, like the Amish community does incredible work. Mm -hmm. And so, um, believe it or not, we actually are now getting our very, very first, um, Sisu sauna for like the Amish to use at the manufacturing site. Uh, so it'll be really funny to see them, you know, handcrafting the the saunas and then taking their lunch break with a little sauna and then come back. Mm -hmm. It'll be, it'll be really interesting. Yeah. So looking at the benefits,
0: that's something that you had hinted at here is that you need to hit that threshold in order for you to actually get those benefits that everyone associates with the sauna. Um, My cousin, Evan O'Connor, is behind the camera. Shout out, Evan. And uh, yesterday, uh, him, myself, and then my Aunt Gina uh, went out and did a 50-miler just for the heck of it. It's amazing. It was a good time. Uh, So that was kind of impromptu. We just did that yesterday. We're here today. What are the actual benefits of doing the sauna
1: after an event like that? Is that something that's going to help us or? Yeah, a hundred percent. So there's, the sauna is kind of like a catch all, uh, methodology for recovery. There's really no one bad time to sauna except maybe directly after waking, um, uh, just because you want your body to naturally, uh, secrete hormones that, that occur when you wake up. Um, but that said, especially when it comes to ultra running, you everybody's going to have some sort of delayed onset uh, muscle soreness or some sort of soreness. And what we're finding is that blood flow and blood circulation is king. And so what does the sauna do? It just enhances circulation like no other, except you could do it to where you're not having to exert yourself. So you still get a nervous system demand of being in, in in the sauna just because of like that heat stress. But what it does, it takes the load off your joints and you're able to like really decompress, allow yourself to really focus on the breath um and be able to elevate the heart rate to a point where you're close to zone two or if not like in that mid zone two which is amazing for recovery so it's 60 to 70 percent of your max heart rate and you're able to stay in there for 20 to 30 minutes depending on um, how heat acclimated you are and that process in in of itself is phenomenal without somebody having to be like all right well i'm going to go for a shakeout run you don't really need to do that and add that extra stress and volume on your joints growing
0: up one of the things that what I commonly heard, and I know a lot of my, my friends and family did too, is when you're swimming in a pool at a hotel and you go jump in the hot tub, that that is going to cause a heart attack. You're going to die. Don't do it. It's stupid. <laughs> Obviously set the preface of this is not medical advice, right. but doing those cycles, the contrast therapy of going into the sauna, then the cold plunge has been one of like the biggest hacks I've ever experienced for my recovery and just being a better athlete in general. Why is that? What do you think is going on when you're doing contrast therapy?
1: Yeah, and I think that contrast therapy is very bastardized on social media where people are literally running from the sauna into the cold plunge and running from the cold plunge back into the sauna. It's great for clickbait. That's not what you should be doing. Like That could be detrimental. Uh, uh, In fact, a lot of times where people experience dizziness from contrast therapy is because they're going too abruptly from the super hot environment to the super cold environment. Um, I don't advise that. You should have about three to four to five minutes of cooling in between Mm -hmm. just naturally get your body out of the sauna, decompress, and then get into the cold plunge and then back, give yourself a couple minutes, then get back in the sauna. That's how it should be done. And actually incorporating a shower at like a lukewarm temperature or just like a hose water temperature is actually a really good way to cool off the body without, um, (laughs) bring on those bad ramifications. Um. But getting more to your point, I think that contrast therapy, like what's actually happening is that you have like this crazy like vasoconstriction, vasodilation that's occurring. So basically like your veins are getting real big and then they're constricting and then real big and constricting based off the blood flow. And that's all indicative upon heart rate. So if I get in the sauna and my heart rate starts to increase, well, obviously like I'm going to have an aerobic effect of that um, and I'm going to start to get like more oxygenated blood into my system. So I'm going to feel like I'm going to feel pretty good. And then when I go to this other extreme environment, I got vasoconstriction. So what is that going to do? The heart rate's going to come down. And so it's going to come down to a point to where it's like really, really low. And that low heart rate brings this level of alertness and attention that's unlike anything. And I think that what ends up happening is that when people, uh, specifically in water that isn't really circulating, like an ice barrel, um, that's what we have here. And it's cold enough, say like forty to forty-five degrees for us. You'll get in there and you'll start to feel your heart rate actually, like, uh, move the water a little bit, and you become super in tune with that. There's that level of presentness that I think is has this very profound effect on people's psychological uh, and emotional health. That is a very underrated factor with sonic hole plunge. Um, but from like the physiological side, you get the anti-inflammatory uh, benefits of, of ice, which is phenomenal, obviously. Um, but then at the same time, when you come back to sauna, what does sauna do? It's the opposite. So it's actually inflaming the the tissue. So it's like your body's trying to figure out what the heck's going on, which means you almost get this, uh, sense of being high. Mm-hmm. In fact, you kind of are. And, um, what that does, especially in the group setting is it galvanizes everybody and it puts them in a tough environment, uh, for them to like really thrive. I think that that is what I'm really, really chasing with Sisu is getting more people to experience these crazy, uh, sensations that are on the complete opposite margins of each other.
0: That is my favorite way to connect with someone now, like go do something very difficult, get in the sauna, get into cold plunge, go for a run, lift weights. We did that a couple other times in a few different podcasts that is like the quickest way to learn about someone and to connect and have like an actual bond in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I always like to joke around. You'll always know like who's been, who's done cold before and who hasn't. And there's nothing better than having somebody over who's never done a cold lunch. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, I love this sauna thing. This this is super cool. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, well we're going to go out and, we're going to jump in the we're going to jump in the ice and they're like we're going to do what <laughs> yeah we're going to do it for 2 minutes <laughs> and um, it's so fun seeing people um uh make you know break in their first cold plunge here or anywhere for that matter because it's they're unlocking a new portion of their mm-hmm. of their brain and unlocking a new portion of this productivity that they never had before. And it's so cool seeing people light up for the first time.
0: It's that paradigm shift of like, I'm going to die if I do this. And then you do it, you get out and you feel really good afterwards. And you're like, whoa, how have I
1: been missing this? It's, it's incredible. And, uh, I was, I first got introduced to it a few years back and it's one of those things where if you aren't in the sauna frequently enough, uh, once you got introduced to it, you all, you honestly feel like something is off. there's something that heat stress does to the brain that to me is something that unlocks like a new level of being a dad a new level of being a father a new level of being a business owner and an athlete that you can't get anywhere else do you feel like it's meditative it can be and it all it also could be the complete opposite it could be extremely stressful depending on how hot the environment is and that's the cool part about having control of the temperature is you figure out where you're most heat adapted to so if you want to have a, a much more relaxing meditative session where it's like a true buffer between like my work day and my family life or, uh, my family life and sleep, I could have that experience or I could just absolutely send it and turn up to two twenty and just grind.
0: Absolutely. Send it. I love that you put yes. it like that.
1: Yes. And it, it's so fun. So it's, it's pick your poison and, and from, from the heat perspective, but at the same time, the, that relaxation component to, to sauna. Is something that i don't think is represented that well on social media it's usually hey i'm turning this up to 230 degrees or 210 or whatever uh look how strong i am Mm -hmm. versus that mental health component that you could get from like 180 to 190 where you could stay in for 20 to 30 minutes that's extremely uh beneficial
0: so good for you and i gotta admit though i'm a very competitive person when i get in the sauna evan's been there john's been there mom, you're going to hate hearing this, but we, we like to like, do like a little one V one or who can stay in the oh, longest yeah, type of yeah, challenge. Yeah. So from that perspective, not that you're getting any sort of additional or incremental benefit, how can you extend your threshold for like the ability to stay at a certain temperature
1: for a certain time? Is it yeah. just more reps or just something else. Uh, people always want the magic pill and I'm not a magic pill type of guy. Mm-hmm. I think that with anything in life, it's consistency and persistence and repetition and volume. So The most important thing is get started with sauna if you haven't started sauning. And then once you do it, the goal would be try to do in like three to four sessions weekly. That will increase your endurance in the sauna. Mm -hmm. There's some things that will enhance the experience, such as like a sauna hat, which will actually cover the top of your head and create an air pocket up top. And if you view your body as a thermostat, uh, the thermostat is actually at the top of your head and your top of your head is going to tell you to get out quicker than your body will. And so, obviously, in any sauna, the higher up you are, the hotter there is. The lower mm-hmm. you are, the lower the uh, the lower the temperature is. So, when you have a sauna hat on, what that ends up uh, doing is that it actually tricks your body to think it's in a cooler environment, even though it's still in that hot uh, hot environment. Uh, the other thing too is is uh, when you have that social experience in a sauna. I don't know uh, for the listeners here if you've ever been in a sauna solo versus. Being in a sauna with many people, Mm -hmm. your endurance drastically increases simply because of the psychological uh, impact that having conversation has on the person, because it takes you out of how you're feeling and puts you into an external conversation. And I always joke around with a bunch of my buddies. They'll be like, how long do you stay in the sauna for? I'll tell them like 20 minutes but if I'm alone, typically it's like 15 minutes mm-hmm. or closer to 15 minutes, because sometimes like my dialogue sucks. <laughs> once, it, once it gets real tough, and I'm I'm really trying to navigate that uh, those those self talks and, and and improve on it. And once I get to like 15 or so minutes, now I'm like, all right, hey, this is normal. Now we got to break through, right? And so it's funny what happens on that solo session versus being uh, with a group of people. Like if you're with a group of people, I feel like I could stand forever.
0: Yeah. It's uh how long are you going to go? As long as you plus one minute.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is exactly how it goes. And that's like the competitive dog in all of us, you always want to beat the next person. And obviously like the sauna isn't really like one of those spots you want to really try to endure in because there could be some ramifications, but uh, that said, it is so fun having like that friendly competition of, Seeing somebody really going through it all of a sudden they drop their head Mm. and You know their their faces or their hands around their face and you could tell that they're going through it Yeah, it's fun navigating that with people
0: and to your point of the the mental benefits not that you should be pushing it to the point where it's dangerous, but Sitting there and realizing okay this sucks I want to get out and looking at your watch and saying 60 more seconds You can push through like finding other areas in your life that you're experiencing that same level of hard and And having the confidence to know you can push through, it is so beneficial.
1: That threshold to me is one of the most beneficial uh, thresholds for anybody to experience of the threshold of I'm very comfortable to I'm extremely uncomfortable. And once you find that threshold and you meet it, people have two options. Either you stop or you keep going. And for people to just push through that threshold and say, I'm going to embrace this for 90 seconds for another two minutes in a sauna could do magic in the rest of their lives because it's what they're, what you'll end up experiencing, what you're able to apply from that sensation is that shit got tough. What am I going to do about it? Am I going to quit or I'm going to just focus on the next step? And you break through that. And that application that I get from the sauna to business, the application from the sauna to the hardship that I might see in my family, I could apply that right away. Do you experience something similar with running a hundred percent? And I know you do too. Mm-hmm. There's, there's certain paces, there's certain heart rates, there's certain distances based off of those where shit hits the fan, things get tough. What are you going to do about it? And it's one of the reasons why I got into um, all or why I really enjoyed doing ultras early. And I didn't really pick up on it. And for the first couple of years, because I was, too uh, young and, and green to it. But it was the process of figuring out that this was my pain threshold. Do I stop now or do I go an extra five miles and get to the next aid station? And I was able to increase my volume, my endurance based off of my comfortability with that threshold or my discomfort with that threshold. And it's one of the reasons why I failed multiple times at completing 100 miles before I ended up running 100 miles. That one hits a little close to home. Yeah. Yeah. And it it, it consumes you because it. I think at the time it was a large part of my identity was trying to complete a hundred miles and I just couldn't do it. And eventually I, I didn't realize this, but it was all basically six years, five years of training to complete a hundred miles. It wasn't just the 16 weeks of prep prior; mm-hmm. It was actually all of the mental hardship that I experienced going up to completing hundred miles that made the difference. People don't realize that though. They want the instant satisfaction.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm currently going through. I started running longer distances, ultra distances almost exactly a year ago and shot for the 100 miler twice, got 60 miles the first time and then 80 miles this summer. And dude, it just eats you up that you didn't hit 100. It's like, how can you go 80% of the way and not finish?
1: That's, that's, you literally mirrored exactly my first two races. It was 62 and 81 (laughs) and both times uh, i you go through the gambit in your mind, but the thing that really set in stone for me was everybody was experiencing it, though. It was just how was each person navigating that same exact issue? I hit a wall. What am I going to do to get through and just make the next step? And my dad, who's ran over like 140 marathons plus, oh, in, in, uh, hundreds and the whole thing, he says it's the same exact thing. It's where we all face the same exact issue. It's just, how are you going to navigate it? And it's basically a puzzle. Uh, you feel like crap and then you feel really, really good. And you feel like crap and you feel really good. And honestly, that's just a great application to life because not every single day you're going to feel great. Um, some of the reasons why I like the sauna too, there's going to be some sessions that I feel great and other sessions where i just, I feel, I feel like a dog. I don't feel that good. Mm-hmm. And so to uh, find thresholds and consistently find thresholds, even as you find success, and uh, figure out where once you find that success, like once you complete hundred miles, like what's next, you need to, you need to keep doing um, what has gotten you there. And my, one of my favorite, favorite sayings is chop wood, carry water. I'm mm. not sure if you've heard this, but Read it's, book. it's one of my favorites. It's before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Like why would you stop doing the thing that got you there when you got the outcome that you wanted? How about you set the new outcome, but continue to refine the process, but keep doing the same process that was getting you there. It's just super important that people don't stop uh, achieving and wanting more, but uh, don't get complacent and stop doing what like actually gave you the success in the first place.
0: Yeah, and I, I appreciate you as a friend and a mentor. That it, it just after my ultra and I didn't complete it, you DM'd me and you said, "Hey man, congrats on eighty. I know that hundred burns." Don't stop doing what you're doing before though. You got to get to that hundred. Yeah. And it's, it's all about like that consistency of don't let that slide and go
1: back down to that
0: lower threshold. Like, okay, you got to 80 now get to a hundred.
1: Yeah. And for most people, especially in today's age, it's let's get them to the 5k, but first to get to the 5k, we need to get you to walk a mile. Can you walk a mile? Mm. Great. I would say, like for this type of listener, like specifically on your podcast, I feel like we're all like in a in a pretty health conscious uh, Mm -hmm. state. So it's how can we find the next outcome or seek the next outcome, and um, like what does that process look like? How do you plan for it, and then let's execute? So it's really really simple. We don't need to overcomplicate it. Here's the outcome. Here's our plan. Let's execute. Sometimes, in my in my opinion, I just. Put my goal outcome, which is, let's say it's race day. I sign up for the race. I don't have a plan, but I'm going to get started and I'll figure out the plan along the way. So it's kind of like the ready fire aim mentality versus the ready aim fire. Mm -hmm. And you have to know when to do both.
0: Uh, Have you read the book, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson?
1: Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite books I've ever read.
0: I love that book recommendation for you guys listening. But I am convinced that they say the compound interest is one of the most powerful concepts in the world. And I'm convinced that the same thing is true, but for habits, so it's like that daily consistency of doing the small things, chop wood, carry water, and how that builds upon itself the day before, to today, to tomorrow, and on and on for years creates a higher threshold. And that concept to me is like a game changer.
1: It's so funny that you mentioned that. I uh, was fortunate enough to spend a day with Nick Baer a couple weeks ago in in, in Nashville. And that's a guy who I've looked up to for Mm -hmm. for a long time. And we're on similar trajectories at the same time with pursuing hundreds and the whole thing. And um, hearing how he, and asking him some questions about how he built his YouTube mm-hmm. following and how he built his Instagram following. He said it point blank. He said, I got started early and I just was consistent. I wasn't trying to over analyze the, the space. I wasn't trying to overdo it. I was just, I started early and I was very consistent and nobody likes that. <laughs> it's super, it's unattractive. They it's want not that sexy. Panel. Yeah, they, they, they want the overnight success. And sometimes people will see somebody blow up and it's an overnight success. And it, it's never like that. Most people don't see that it was an eight year process, 10 year process. It was just one thing that they did that mm-hmm. like ended up becoming viral it was actually. And then all of a sudden they find out that they have all this content out there for the last eight years and they realize, oh, wow, this guy, he's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's never a coincidence. You've started putting out some really valuable
0: Instagram posts, like in-depth, good details, like actionable That means a lot
1: because I've been trying to put out some stuff that is, uh, things that I, I think people would actually resonate with. So that's good to know.
0: Yeah. No, dude, I'm always commenting on him. I love seeing it. I think we need more of that. And you're someone that I think a lot of people can respect and, and it's cool to see what you're building. Can we expect to see a YouTube channel, a podcast, just more content in general
1: coming from you? Man, uh, I haven't really thought about a YouTube, uh, account or a, uh, uh, like a full-on podcast. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of having a podcast that could be going around to different Sisu saunas and I get to interview. That'd be so cool. Our customers, mm-hmm. like people that are in our Sisu tribe, thought leaders, some of our ambassadors, I think that could be really, really cool. Uh, but at this point, I'm going to let, guys like you be able to take as much, you know, knowledge as you need and like roll with it. Um, and I'll just participate as much as I can in the conversation. But I think right now where my mindset is at, I've got a lot going on with my my kids and my wife. Yeah. And then with, with what I got going on with my uh, my personal like health and Sisu, I'm like, man, that those are my three main priorities right now. I do see myself a couple years down the line as we continue to build out our infrastructure and our team to really press more into the the founder story and uh, really taking a deep dive into like our thought processes and yeah. like our why.
0: I think that's super important. And that's something I'd like to hit on too before we wrap up is you're 28 years old. You're building a startup right now, a manufacturing startup, which is incredibly hard, might I add, and you've got a wife and children. How is combining all
1: of those elements been? It would... It, I don't want this to sound. Um, uh, I, I don't want this to sound bad or wrong, but I, I've had a much easier time than I thought. <laughs> the reason being is that I had learned prior to having kids, and then having our first, and now our second, that saying no is a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And I used to say yes all the time, and so learning to say no and understanding what my goals are, what is my plan for the next few years, and then protecting that. It's allowed me to really narrow down what makes me happy, what moves the needle for me and saying no to really anything else that comes my way. And it's allowed me to be able to grow the areas I actually want to grow on in life and um, pursue that and have time for that and be present when I'm when I'm pursuing that. The power of no. I love that.
0: OK, well, I burned a lot of calories yesterday. I think we're going to go grab a bite to eat. Um We've been making a lot of investments in the podcast, both with equipment, but also into relationships. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, make sure you rate and review. Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you and Sisu online if they want to connect and learn more?
1: Yeah, thank you first and foremost for the opportunity and for coming all the way here to Cleveland, Ohio. We should have started off by saying that you guys drove like five to six hours <laughs> to do this in person. To, that means a lot. Uh, you can find me on social media at Peter Nelson II. You can find us uh, with Sisu at, at Sisu underscore sauna. So it's S I S U underscore mm-hmm. sauna and then Sisulifestyle.com. Awesome. And then I'm at the Jacob OC,
0: Evan is at the Evan OC and the podcast is real period conversations on Instagram. Peter, for my final question, looking back at this really cool journey you've been on, what advice would you offer to your 22 year old self? Stay consistent.